You're listening to the Farmyard Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Farmyard. It's a movement, have you heard? And our Patreon supporters. Episode 51. Well, hello, everyone. Linda Borgie here from Farmyard. You are just one seed away. I Really, that's all it is, is one teeny, weeny, little, itty-bitty seed. That's how far away you are from what? From pretty much everything as far as I'm concerned. But then again, um, that's how we think over here at Farmyard. We want food growing everywhere all the time. And don't you think that's really a wise move? I mean, I, I could never really understand like neighborhoods, you know, new neighborhoods are built. They put out trees, right? What do the trees do? They drop leaves that we put in bags and send to the landfill. Now, why can't they drop oranges or apples or cherries? Wouldn't that be a wiser situation, right? But did no one think about that yet? Well, we're going on that premise. That's what we're going with here at Farmyard. And that's why we have Wayne Roberts on our team. Now, I hope you got a chance to listen to our first episode in this series of six, a series entitled How Entities, you know, Towns and Cities, right, can save billions of dollars by growing food everywhere. But see, we could say that, right? But we need something to back it up. And we have, we have what we need to back it up. And I, and I can hardly wait to bring them on. Hey, Wayne, are you there? Yes, I am. Good morning. Oh, how wonderful. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Today, we're going to talk about water. Wayne is going to teach us how by gardening, billions of dollars are saved in water. Go ahead, Wayne, take it away. Oh, Tell us dude. how we could do this, honey. Hey. Well, thank you. So, you know, we're doing six parts here. And the first one we did, how we can save the public uh, billions of dollars by a company that is otherwise thrown into landfill and causing all sorts of problems. And today I'd uh, like to talk about uh, water as a different route. Uh, for saving another bunch of uh, billions of dollars. And when we finish the six parts, we'll add it up. I'll give you the exact math and we can make a good estimate. And the reason why we're doing this, I believe, uh, is we're trying to establish that it's not only the individual gardener who gets a benefit from their garden, it's also the general public and the environment. And when individuals respect that and politicians respect that, we'll see an end to a couple of practices. One is many of the illegal, like I understand. Uh, you have a story about that, Linda, if I'm not mistaken. You know, you went in and out there for a minute. I'm not sure if it's your signal or mine, but, oh, you mean with the water, about yeah. collecting the water. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, I am doing something slightly illegal. That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> so, many activities of... Um, associated with gardening like composting or rain barrels are illegal in some uh, states in the U.S. and some provinces in Canada. So I'd like to end that. But even more, once you identify how rich the benefits are, then mm -hmm. it should, a wise government would incentivize more citizens to do it. 
and, mm -hmm. and perhaps covering the costs of many of the things like rain barrels, just to give one example, um, as well as composters. So that's the sort of general purpose of it. And water is got as many benefits, I would say, as, a, as um, composting. And um, I sort of divided into four ways. And the first one is that we conserve a huge amount of water, which after all is the most precious resource on the planet. Yes. Um, for our life and the life of every other creature. Oh. And, um, and it might be that... Uh, uh, you use as much water on your garden as an ordinary citizen would use on their lawn, though, though that's debatable in itself. But let's, for the sake of the argument, say that's true. Uh -huh. uh, uh, the fact is the person having a lawn is using water for their lawn, and then another farmer is using water to grow the food that they could have grown on their lawn. So we are actually displacing the need for water in areas like California, which is where most of the continent vegetables come from, and uh, Florida, both of which are hard hit by uh, drought, and from places like Iowa, where corn comes from. If you grow some of your own corn, you're not using water um, that's in Iowa. This is called the water footprint. Every food has a footprint of water behind it that we don't think when you eat a tomato, for example, that there's 20 gallons of water in a pound of tomatoes. And um, so I sort of put it all together. If you take a city like uh, Philadelphia, uh, just in private home gardens and in community gardens, they produce 2 billion pounds a year of food in those little gardens. And if you multiply that by 20 uh, gallons, per pound, okay, 20 gallons is an average of what, you know, you put your lettuce, your tomatoes, your corn all together, and it's about 20 uh, gallons. They're saving 40 million gallons of water a year in the city of Philadelphia, which is one heck Wow. Of and <laughs> one example of a family in Los Angeles, who, uh, which, as you know, is facing pretty severe drought year after year, yeah, uh, they are growing six thousand pounds in their yard. Yes, they you are. Multiply that by twenty, you get one hundred and twenty thousand gallons. It's like quite amazing amounts of water get saved uh, from areas which are hard hit by water. Oftentimes, in areas like where you live in New Jersey or where I do in Ontario, which have got pretty plentiful water. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, we don't have to transport your water-filled carrots and and tomatoes from uh, thousands of miles away. We just have to move it from your backyard into your kitchen. So <laughs> there's huge amounts of, uh, of uh, conservation of water, uh, the most precious resource in the world, just by growing your food instead of growing nothing that you can eat or, or use. Mm -hmm. Yes, I so agree. And... Um, so that's my first one. Um, and my second one relates to how um, we can conserve water that we bring to our own house. And um, again, because we've taken for granted generally, North America gets a lot of, uh, a fair amount of rain. It has lots of 
uh, water available in lakes. I live about a block from Lake Ontario, which is a very huge lake by global standards. Mm -hmm. So we all have a sense that the water's all over the place and uh, it's virtually free. So as a result, we don't think of all the costs that go into it because it just seems to be so plentiful. Um, but actually, there's lots of water that comes to our home that we allow to just go down the drain or down the sewer, and we could conserve it and use it. That would save all the money that's required uh, to push water uphill from the lake to where most people live. Most people live above the lake, not below it. Otherwise, they'd be flooded by it. Right. Uh, so you're saving all that electricity, you're saving all the energy and the chlorine and the fluoride and all the other chemicals that have to be put into lake and river water before we can drink it. So every time you save a gallon of water, you're saving all that energy and you're also saving all the goes to it. So here's some simple ways that we can do that. And I think gardeners do almost by nature. First of all, they have, uh, they have rain barrels to capture the rain water that falls on their roof and you get it off your eaves trough. And instead of letting it go uh, down your driveway and into the sewer, we save it and pump it out to our garden the next day. And um, so that's one huge amount of water that we don't have to, have to use that would otherwise be wasted from our household. Um, in Germany, by the way, the most common thing is they don't allow rainwater to go down into the sewers. They, they capture it on their roof and then they use it to do their laundry because it's already soft water. Uh -huh. And so they don't have to add soap to it. But I think in North America, the more standard thing would be a rain barrel. And the other thing is, I'm a bit of a nut about this, but um, we waste a lot of water at home just because we're warming it. Sometimes to wash our hands, which in fact, food safety studies show you don't need to wash your hands with hot water. It's the soap that washes your hands and cleans them, not, not only the water. So um, uh, <clears throat> we don't need it to be hot water in order to be safe. Uh, but we warm water to have a shower, uh, wash our face. We don't like to have cold water thrown against it. And when we're doing uh, dishes, we usually have to run a fair amount, sometimes 20, 30 seconds worth of water. That water is perfectly good water, and uh, we should be hauling it out to our garden. So I, being a bit of a weirdo, carry it down. Uh, afterwards, I put it in a bucket and carry it down. But I'm thinking that if the government started to get a sense of this, they would give a reward to somebody who would invent a way to take warming water and to divert it, not into the sewage system, but into your backyard garden. Yes. That's a nice little innovation. Would not be super complex. And we would do two things if that happened. First, we would get the water. Instead of putting it, we just got it from the lake, and now we're sending it back to the lake without ever having used it. Uh, but secondly, we would extract the heat from it. Mm -hmm. And it's possible to capture about 60% of the heat. So when you're having a hot shower, the drain, capture that heat and actually use it as water in gardens, which would extend the growing season. 
into the cooler days of the late fall and yeah. starting earlier on in May, let's say, where it's not quite ready to farm normally, but it would be if you had pipes of warm water uh, that was going out into the sewage system. That way you could extract the heat from it. So um, those are some of the examples of the ways. Very clever, Wayne. Very yes. clever. Very Yeah, clever. so I mean, just think of that. You're taking water up to a pretty hot temperature, hotter than your house is, and we just put that water right out of the system. We don't use it to heat our home. We don't use it to heat our gardens or our greenhouses, but we could literally, in most homes, if you had to turn your porch into a sort of a little uh, greenhouse, we could totally warm them, not with extra fuel, but just with <clears throat> the heat that we extract from water that we normally would pour down the drain. So that's my number two set of strategies is how to use the what conserve the water that is already brought to our house. Great. That sound. That sounds wonderful. Stay close to the computer. You're you're going back and moving in and out. So I want everybody to hear every word you're saying. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Um, no problem. So number three. Number three is, you know what? There is a thing called the water cycle. And uh, we don't really waste water. It just goes on to another phase of the water cycle. But we want to make sure that it, when it goes on to the next phase, that it leaves uh, us as clean as it, it came to us. Or even hopefully, it leaves us cleaner than when it came to us. Mm. And so I believe that gardens are excellent ways to make sure that the water we've used in our homes returns back to the water table, back to the rivers and lakes in a cleaner state than when we got it. Mm -hmm. At the very least, as clean. And we know there's a big, big, big penalty for not doing that. And, they, and that is the rise of green lakes. We're used to seeing lakes that are blue, but increasingly lakes are becoming green around the world. That, that is becoming a huge uh, crisis of, from algae, which are turning lakes green. When the temperature gets too high and there's too many nutrients, it's actually referred to as nutrient pollution. Because if you put too much fertilizer on your lawn, and almost all people who have lawns use about twice as much fertilizer as they need, that fertilizer isn't taken by the plant. It goes down in the water table and out into the lake and the river. And that eventually over-nutrifies over, uh, the lake and the river, and it gets algae in response, which kills the fish and, and makes the lake look and stink awful. Mm -hmm. So we can pre-clean water, I believe, using um, uh, <clears throat> standard garden techniques. And let me give you a couple of examples. When you take rain from your roof, instead of um, uh, letting that rain fall into the sewer, when the rain goes into the sewer, it takes with it everything it picks up on the way there, which often includes cigarette butts. Cigarette butts take 12 years before they break down in a lake or a river. Might include a little oil or heavy metal from the exhaust from your car. Uh, might include a little 
uh, asbestos from your brake linings uh, in your car. Gross, and, gross, stop, uh, stop. All sorts of stuff, but instead you get it in a rain barrel, it's as clean as when it came, fell from the sky. Uh-huh. So you've pre-cleaned water, you've kept it out, you've prevented it from getting foul before it goes into nature. And we can do the same with snow, you know, when it, we're usually taught or encouraged it. Toss your your snow from your driveway onto the road. Well, why don't we toss our pre-clean it when it melts early in the spring before it it's uh, ready to grow food? And we can, as they say, dirty work. Let it percolate that water through and return it to the water table uh, pure. And the other ways of doing this, I think, are when you have in a household what is called gray water. Uh, gray water is uh, water that's a bit gray because you've got soap suds in it. Um, that's not generally, if you want to be ultra safety conscious, um, you would not apply that directly to a, to a garden because it might have some yucky uh, stuff in it. But um, you can use it uh, for trees or for stuff that we don't end up eating or for parts of your landscape that are just for decoration or for flowers. Or even, uh, I believe, conscientious gardeners should have a little section of their lot dedicated to what is called a rain garden. That is, it's a garden that deliberately stores a rainfall. Yeah. And um, you, you can put humongous amounts of water in, a, uh, in a, these rain gardens. If you check it out on Google or anywhere else, you'll see some very beautiful uh, ways to do it. And that keeps the lawn from running off down into the sidewalk, down the road, and into your sewer and getting all those cigarette butts and asbestos in it and keeps it close to your own garden. So, again, using the combination of uh, rain barrels, uh, using some gray water from your uh, shower and uh, laundry, and um, capturing... um, snow melt and all the rest, we can pre-clean huge quantities of water so that it returns to lakes and rivers in a state that will support fisheries, make pleasant swimming and recreation, and not stink and uh, look awful, but look beautiful and smell beautiful. Yes, and also I want the listeners to be aware, those of you that are yard farming, You can also use a 55-gallon food-grade tub, and if you elevate it between two and three feet, that will run out on a sprinkler hose 100 feet. It is called uh, gravity-fed drip irrigation. And those tubs can be open to collect the rain. So there you go. Yeah, okay, well, thank you. I think you had some other tricks of the trade, too, from your uh, permaculture or, or, your, or your biodynamic uh, strategies, if I'm not mistaken. Well, most of our listeners have um, some idea about biodynamics. If you don't, there's so many podcasts now. We're up to our 47th or 48th episode. But biodynamics, uh, the using the use of the preparations, can allow the farmer to only have to use fifty percent of their water consumption. And boy, isn't that a blessing? Because water is not an unlimited 
natural resource. It is limited, my friends. And perhaps because I've, I've taught in Africa, I have friends there, I know people that will never see a drink, clean drinking water supply in their lifetime, right? So I may have a different relationship with water than most do, but, but we have to respect it. I mean, in Walker Valley, through the use of the biodynamic preparations, it went from granite, not granite, quartzite and hard pan to humus in six months. So there's something to be said about things, you know, and we don't have to know how they work in order for them to work. So just keep that in mind. Right, Wayne? Exactly right. (laughs) So if you don't mind, I'll just get on to my fourth uh, general strategy. That's great. Yeah. And, uh, as you know, because, um, you know, the weather has not been what it used to be. And um, oftentimes the weather causes a lot of problems that it didn't used to cause with at least as much frequency as now. And one side of those problems are related to floods. Yeah. They're re- related to drought. We got opposite problems. Uh, increasingly, we get both of them sometimes even in the same year. And this is these extremes of weather are pretty costly. So I just checked out um, the cost of the Houston flood uh, last year, what is added up to be $73.5 billion. Oh my God. So that's what a flood in the city can cause. And I believe that gardens are not the alternative to floods, but they certainly play a role in minimizing the damage to them. One is you're capturing some of that rainwater in your rain barrel. Um, And two is you're capturing some of that water in your rain garden, which I was talking to yesterday. Garden is much more porous soil than a lawn. You can often see, actually see the water bouncing off your lawn because it's in some ways a form, it's the ground is so uh, compacted from being uh, walked on, from having lawnmowers, lawnmowers over them, and from the way the grass itself is structured, that th- they do not invite water into their embrace, whereas gardens embrace uh, water. They've got lots of area between rows, and the soil is piled very loosely, and especially if a person is using lots of compost that means there's lots of air spaces below the plant. And so all of those areas can store uh, water uh, in the event of a rainfall. So the fact is, is that a, a city where there are plentiful gardens is going to store a lot more water uh, in gardens than it will in sewers, which easily get flooded. The, the rain. Right. And so you can sometimes head that off uh, with those techniques. And we have to remember, we're not only talking about uh, gardens in our backyard. In most buildings, most cities have one-sixth of their space is flat roofs. Yep. Think of schools, universities, office buildings, high-rise towers, mm-hmm. and the like. So if we gardened those, that is, develop green roofs, which is the law really for big buildings in cities like Berlin, Tokyo, and uh, Toronto, Portland, Chicago. Uh, So if we gardened our roofs, that would be keeping all of that water out of the sewage system. Mm -hmm. So 
if we expanded gardens onto that one-sixth of the space of most cities, which is concrete rooftops, just standing there doing nothing, right. converted them into gardens, we could keep a good portion of the water that, that uh, out of a system where it could cause floods. Um, at the same time, that water is being stored for a non-rainy day. And so if you have a rain garden, it's going to be releasing water on dry, ultra dry days. If you have organic soil that's thick and got lots of water being stored inside it, it can withstand a drought better than uh, hardened uh, soil that the water just runs right through. So the, ironically, the garden can actually protect us from two extremes that we find in situations of extreme weather. It can protect us a bit from, uh, from flooding and it can protect us a bit from drought. So those are, if you put all those four uh, sets of savings together, it comes to multiple billions of dollars uh, across a continent uh, every year. I got to tell you, I can hardly wait for the next four, Wayne. <laughs> My yeah. goodness, you are really blowing the lid off of this. It's really very awesome. You know, I want the listeners to know that by the time we're done with this, it's our intent to get this in the hand of, hands of every city planner in the, on the continent. Right, Wayne? Yeah, I hope so. Well, I mean, <laughs> duh. <laughs> well, you know, next we've talked about um, comp post and uh, garbage reduction and uh, water reduction today and in, in our next one if you're okay with it I'd like to talk about all the savings that are available from the mental health benefits oh yes um, sir not the physical health but the mental mental health. health yes sir I am sure on board with that well thanks again Wayne thanks so much for coming on well my pleasure thank you for having me it's been it's been grand and looking forward to our next episode coming to a headphone near you right <laughs> I want to also take this time to thank our uh, sponsors and our on our patrons, uh, our patron supporters. How the heck could we do it without you? Mama me. You know the car. My car still needs gas, you know, no matter what. I haven't figured out how to do that telepathically, but I'm working on it. Well, thanks again for listening, everyone. I hope you all enjoyed what you've heard. I will see you soon. I will catch you on the flip side. And until then... Then go form that yard. <laughs> this podcast is community supported. We thank everyone for tuning in, and a special thank you goes out to all our Patreon supporters. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe and share. You can help support us through Farm Yard, all one word, on Patreon.com.